Blanc, Arizona Wine Podcast by Cody Vladimir Burkett. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Cody, the wine monk, with Gary, the professor, for lack of another better catch name. Evidently, I also go by the beer captain. Oh, beer captain and... If you're more daring, oh, captain, my captain. We are in, we are in skirts today. Valid point. We are doing a brosé podcast, which, because we're bros and we're drinking rosé. We're starting off with the Sonoida Dry Rosé from Callaghan Vineyards, 2013, which has a very naughty woman on the label. I don't know if I would go with naughty, but... She's, well, she's enjoying (laughs) herself-ish. Well, she looks like she's having fun, let's put it that way. 100% Grenache Rosé, as far as I'm aware. This is 100% Sonoida Fruit. I'm going to go with the assumption it is. It does have, at least from what I remember the last time I tasted it, the uh, tangerine notes that I associate anyway with Sonoida wines. We're just sitting here a couple days after International Rosé Day outside in kilts because, as we talked about earlier, it's just too damn hot for pants. And we're attempting to smoke hookah. But it's not always working. Never could get the hang of these things. It's not even a Thursday. I do know where my towel is, though. Mm. So Sonoida, for those who don't know, is Arizona's only established AVA. Um, There are plans, I've heard, in the works to make Wilcox and uh, the Chiricahua Foothills AVAs as well, but I don't know where the work stands at this point in time. Water is coming out of the hookah. What am I doing wrong? Do I have it too high? Do I have it too low? No idea. This is only the second time I've used this hookah, and James Callahan was here the last time, and he made it work perfectly, and it just makes me kind of think of Iron Man. He made it work in a box full of scraps in a cave. (laughs) Technically, James made it work when he was half drunk, and you are not half drunk yet. This is true. I'm wondering, actually, if it's not enough water. Well, last time you had the problem of too much water. And I'm wondering if I'm supposed to have it at this level. Hey, are there any Antiochians in the house? No. Damn. Reminds me of the two years on hell when I was in Boston. And every Friday night was hookah night. And the ladies there were magic, and I cannot figure out how to work this thing. We had it sort of working. Your guess is better than mine. It also doesn't sound the same, the gurgling, which really makes me think there's something about the water. Really makes me think of a dirty joke, but I'm not going to say it. A dirty yoke? Joke. Which dirty joke? I already told you I'm not going to say it. I could just edit it out of the podcast. But you won't. This is a good point. (laughs) I know you better than that. Well, maybe we try with a little bit more water. Yes, we do. Maybe we talk about the wine first. Yes, that's true. We could do that. Take a seat. Don't be shy. You're afraid of sitting next to men in a skirt? <laughs> no, I'm just too antsy. I can't stop pacing. So on the nose, it's very soft. Almost perfumey. Yeah, there's definite floral characteristics, like um, sort of a rosehip gardenia. Another sort of light aromatic flower. Not jasmines. No, not jasmines, not elderflower. 
Honeysuckle, maybe? Really light, but yeah, I could go with that. Admittedly, I know very little about how this rosé was made. I don't know whether it was saunier or macerated or anything of that sort, but it is damn tasty. It is quite lovely, and it's in a screw cap, which I am a fan of. Yeah, it makes it easy to take it out on a pin- picnic, you don't have, or backpacking for that matter, if you want to fit a whole bottle. I can think of better alcohols to take backpacking, but picnic, absolutely. My rule for backpacking is always, if you're going to be out for just the day, then you can bring glass with you, and it's no problem. You can bring some wine, bring some beer. If you're going to be out more than a day, you got to go with bourbon. And if you're going to be out for more than just a couple of days, you got to go with barrel-proof bourbon. So you can get the most bang for your buck. And by buck, I mean eight ounces of flask space. So, because I don't know bourbon that well... What's the difference between barrel-proof and regular bourbon? Regular bourbon has been proofed down to 40% alcohol or 80 proof. Usually can go up from there. Most are 40 to 45% or 80 to 90 proof. Uh, Barrel-proof is up to 140 proof. Usually it's around 110, so 55-60% alcohol. You can dilute it a little bit more with every drink so that you can make your flask last longer. Okay. This wine smells decidedly better than that hookah smoke. Yeah. So I was trying to game for a flavor combination of mint, grape, and watermelon that would approximate the flavor of Grenache. So it's like, yo, dog, I heard you like Grenache, so I made a Grenache flavor so you can smoke Grenache while you're drinking Grenache type thing. Um, but we're having hookah failure. You know, I, I guess I, I fell for this idea and thought it would work hookah, line, and sinker. That was stupid. That was pretty bad. Oh well, my jokes get better the more I drink. Probably. I guess. No, everyone great. else just stops caring. This is true. So the coal is still hot. I wonder if the seal is tight. On the palate of the wine anyway. Strawberry shortcake. Oh yeah, totally. Made with good, high-acid, fresh strawberries, not the store-bought crap. I'm getting a little bit also of that tangerine on the base of the palate. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, to me, anyway, denotes Sonoida versus anywhere else in particular in Arizona. And I brought the love from Passion Cellars for when we finish this. If we finish this. Well, no, it's not if, it's when. It's if we want to open another bottle. Exactly. Let's look, there goes dinner. Mmm, quail. Actually, quail might not be a bad pairing for this. Wouldn't be the worst pairing, wouldn't be my first pairing, but... I don't know, if you went out hunting quail with a bottle of this, and you field dress them and cook them over fire that evening, it would be quite nice. Yes, it would. Okay, now we have smoke. I think it was just that the coal was... maybe had too much ash. I don't know. Maybe you got too much of that weird tobacco in there. Well, that is pretty standard hookah tobacco, though. Oddly, I think this would also pair really well with the Reuben. I would agree with that. Let's increase the surface area of this coal, see if you can't get anything out of it. Assuming I don't knock it all over the place. Well, it also doesn't help that we got like a buck fifty coals. 
but I think we got a winner. Look. Very cool. Your turn. So anyway, it kind of really surprises me, actually, that hookah and rosé isn't a more common... Doesn't surprise me. Give me a cigar any day. Well, for me, hookahs are lighter than cigars, and when I drink, when I when I drink a cigar, I want to <laughs> I want to smoke a really really nice red. Um, <laughs> to me, those tobacco notes in in a cigar are a little bit stronger. They tend to mesh better with reds. You know, Cabs, Nebbiolos, Sangioveses, Syrah, and a good cigar or better yet a pipe with Latakia is brilliant I've done it many times but for me not that I smoke hookah regularly but I've, I've spent a little bit of time thinking about this I feel like hookah would be better with whites and rosés because of the nature of the hookah it's a little bit lighter it's less heavy on the palate so we read an article on the internets today I was talking about this phenomenon of brosé idea that there are more men getting interested in different rosés, um, which is something that is very unusual. And those who know me, and actually those who know both of us pretty well... Pause for dramatic effect. Was I smoke the hookah? Puff dramatically. Puff the dramatic dragon. Anyway, actually I sound like Puff the Germanic dragon, which is all sorts of unfortunate implications. But anyway... Images of animated Nazi dragons are flowing through my head. Same here! <laughs> anyway, the great Ooh. escape, done with dragons. <laughs> and what's also funny is I was playing Skyrim last night, so I have dragons on the mind. There's apparently a mod in Skyrim now where you can build and work a winery. But I have no idea what Skyrim is, and I really don't care to know. It's a computer game and Not video game. Um, where the hell was I? Those who know us, pause for dramatic effect. Yes, those who know us. Those who know the two of us know that we are big fans of rosé, especially Arizona rosé, and know that we both feel that this is a style that does very, very well here. Just because of the nature of climate and this... Rosé culture that exists in the south of France that I've been really digging and hearing about and reading about lately. And literally, in parts of Provence, you have a two-day lunch, you go out, you have a glass of rosé, take your brief nap, and then you go back to work. Which, to me, sounds kind of like paradise. And it's also light, crisp, acidic, thirst-quenching. And when you've got a hot, hot climate that's too hot for, you know, wearing pants, you want something that's very crisp and acidic and thirst-quenching and... You know, you don't necessarily want something heavy most of the time. I should bring up an important distinction between my kilt and Cody's kilt. Cody's kilt is a traditional heavyweight wool blend plaid kilt. My kilt's made of hiking short material. It's nice and light and comfortable. Well, actually, it's 110 degrees outside. Well, actually, this is not the full-on heavy felt. I got this uh, from Sport Kilt, actually, so it's a little bit lighter fabric. It's not quite that wool. Okay. But it's not as light as yours, either. Um, shout out to my friend Anne, who works at Sport Kilt. Um, still? Still. Awesome. You need to put in your order, bro. Yes, I do. So that way we can do Sport Kilts and brosé. <laughs> I'll have some brosé, dude. But anyway, they were talking about this concept of, like, 
bros drinking rosé, which as much as I don't like the term bro and all of its parochial uh, fraternity dude connotations of anti-feminist assholes, Gary and I regularly share rosé on a regular basis, so... And I regularly drink it when he's not around. Well, we also regularly drink rosé when either of them is not around. But that being said... Lovely, lovely wine, and I am drinking it far too fast. We've got more. As it opens up, that flavor of tangerine is intermingling with this really rich watermelon that's coming out, too. Definitely. And it's not just the hookah, because they put, like I said, watermelon tobacco in this. It is like a candy watermelon. Not so much like an actual watermelon. Like a Jolly Rancher watermelon, or...? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's like the difference between amyl acetate and isoamyl acetate. The first is the actual flavor compound in bananas. The second is the synthetic compound that is in artificial, artificially flavored banana candies. And the difference between the two is subtle but intense, if you follow that. If you do, congratulations. Well, I also heard that synthetic banana flavoring is based on a previous strain of banana that was pre- previously common, but that's now extinct because of some sort of blight. And now it's a different banana. I think it's called the Cavendish banana now. Yep. That uh, has a distinct flavor profile versus the original one that the artificial banana flavoring was based on. So this is another reason why artificial banana flavoring doesn't taste exactly like your banana that you're going to get in the supermarket. Again, this is just what I've been told. I don't know if it's true or not. but I don't know if that's true or not either, but the Cavendish has a blight going around right now that could be the end of that species as well, and we'll have to find another everyday table banana. That sucks. Never been a fan of bananas anyway, so... Admittedly, nor really have I, but... The girlfriend is really fond of peanut butter and banana sandwiches, so... And they are really good in smoothies. Bananas, not girlfriends. I was going to say, um... So I didn't think we're in Papua New Guinea, but... (laughs) That would be guinea pigs. No, that would be human brains. Papua New Guinea. They actually, I guess there is this isolated village that had a very, very nice resistance to prion diseases, and they realized that it was a formerly cannibalistic tribe. And so they probably developed that as a resistance to being killed by prion diseases from human brains. Which is just really interesting. The weird things that drive evolution. So we got from wine to cannibalism. That's interesting. That might be a first for us, but I doubt it. Yeah, I I feel like we've we've had that conversation before, but... We have talked about eating the goat liver with fava beans and a nice Chianti. Although I'm not sure that that would be a good pairing. No, but it is a great inside joke if you know anything about pharmaceuticals. This is true. MMAOIs or... MAOIs. MAOIs, sorry. Are uh, not good with alcohol or beans. Or liver. Or pickles. Or any one of a hundred other foods. Which is part of why I love Silence of the Lambs so much. That one joke right there that most people don't get. Hannibal Lecter saying, I'm not taking my meds. This time I'm the one making the background noises. 
I say I prefer socket wrenches too, because... That's okay. Socket wrenches are easier to use. Quite. So, in your opinion, what are you... What do you... Uh, I can't In your opinion, what would be the top three rosé grapes in Arizona? I can't not mention Sangiovese and Syrah because those are some of the better red grapes that we're doing and good rosé comes from good reds and I refuse to comment on the third because most people would say Nebbiolo but I haven't had too many that I have really enjoyed Um, and I haven't had many rosés made from other grapes out here I know in Carolina, Grenache rosés were amazing, and you would sell out of them in two weeks in your tasting room. You couldn't make a red Grenache to save your life, though, out there. Um, but yeah, I'll give Sangiovese and Syrah, but I'm not going to comment on the third, because I, I don't know yet. I would like to see some big, bold Italian rosés that aren't Nebbiolo-based. Ionico, uh, Alicante. Can you make a rosé out of Alicante? I'm sure if you just pressed it right away and didn't let it ferment on the skins, you could get something reasonably light. And then if you blended it with a rosé that you made from, say, Sagrantino. I have had a quite lovely Pinot Grigio rosé that's not on the market yet, but should be in about six months. Ooh. Oh yeah, that's right, that's ours. Yep. <laughs> it's like... Six months on the long, long end of the time frame. Quite lovely. Quite, quite lovely. Yeah, it's interesting that more people aren't making rosé out of Pinot Grigio when it's a red grape, ostensibly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also interesting to me, and I don't know why this is, and maybe you know why more than I do. Why does anyone actually make an actual red from Pinot Grigio? Because it is a red grape. It's a very light-skinned red grape. Imagine a Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. Really light-skinned, really thin-skinned. Pinot Grigio is the same genetically as Pinot Noir. It's almost identical. In fact, I have seen vines that have been growing for years and years and years, and some of the buds have reverted to Pinot Noir from Pinot Grigio. It is incredibly genetically unstable, and the pigment it just isn't super strong. You can let it sit on the skins all you want, and you're not going to get more than a really rich pink out of it. That's my best guess as to why no one makes a red out of it. Makes a lot of sense. I have actually seen in one bin of grapes that came into a processing facility that I worked at, it was about evenly divided up Pinot Grigio, Pinot Blanc, and Pinot Noir. Huh. All from vines that were supposedly Pinot Grigio. You may need to light another coal, too. I would say just set it on top and light it there this time. Yeah, last time it did not go well. Pieces of it were flying off everywhere, and... Ah, Whoa! I forgot that that thing moves. And you haven't even had a glass of wine yet. I know. Let's get some of that other ash off of there. Oh, yeah, that's why we're not getting any smoke. There's, like, no charcoal left. I'm going to move this, and I would strongly suggest moving yours... I will take that advice. Sounds like 4th of July. Looks a little bit like 4th of July, too. 
This we could have just cleared off all the ash that way. That may have worked. Yeah, I should have used the last of my incense coals for this. I shouldn't have used inferior non-orthodox products. <laughs> Fucking Protestants. I don't know that this is Protestant work. Jews? Are we being anti-Semitic here? Or... No. Catholics? No, they use a lot of incense too. Let's blame the atheists this time. I was going to say, are we going to blame the uh, Muslims and be like typical Americans? No, because the Muslims would be just as upset about a hookah coal not working. I mean, this is a habit I really first picked up. Well, not a habit, hardly. A habit implies that I would have done this more than two times with a hookah in the last two years. It's typically something associated with Eastern, Middle Eastern culture, Arabic culture. Um, started with the Ottomans and then spread east through Iran into India. And then west, of course, to Morocco and Mediterranean littoral. Hey, now that it's working right, you want to try again? I suppose. <laughs> yeah, still not a fan. Maybe it's the flavor. Could be. Uh, the favorite mix that me and my friends ever developed was mint, pomegranate, and rose. That sounds better. I could go grab some mint leaves and get throw it on top of that charcoal. Yeah, let's give it a whirl. Why not? Please hold. Our operators are... Your call is very important to us. As for myself and my list of three best rosé grapes in Arizona, I would go with Grenache. I would actually go with Mouvedra or Sangiovese. Um, it's kind of a tie there. Probably go with Sangiovese more than Mouvedra because I really, really like the dark Arizona Mouvedras that are out right now. Uh, like, the ones, like the one at Flying Leaps Tasting Room. I'm totally talking to myself right now. This is interesting. I'm going to stop talking to myself and actually talk around other people this time. <laughs> i got to confess something. I love rosé and I love wine in general. All day today I've been craving a mint julep with the fresh mint that I've got in my garden and bourbon I've got in my liquor shelf because I'm a good southern boy and haven't had it because I knew this was coming. But Aww. this might be a good substitute. In retrospect, we probably should have put it in with the uh, tobacco in the first place. Should have, but it's a little late for that now. Smells great, though. So I was with, I'm with you on Sangiovese as a rosé grape for Arizona. I'm inclined more towards Grenache than, rose, than Syrah because you can make a really good red out of Syrah, but it's really hard to make a dark red Grenache in Arizona. So for me, that suggests that it would be better as a rosé. Have you had any of the Cleaver Grenaches? I don't think I have, actually. You might have to dig one of those out. Probably not tonight, though. Yeah, tangerine, watermelon, and a little bit of um, grapefruit now in the Caligan. I'm not getting the grapefruit. More than anything right now, I'm getting the um, watermelon Jolly Rancher. It's got a long finish, too, for rosé. Mm -hmm. I am actually inclined towards Nebbiolo at this point, uh, mostly because, again, it doesn't seem to do well in terms of color out here. San Reckoner does a really, really amazing, mostly Nebbiolo, a little bit of Multipultriano, and um, I think Zin 
Rosang. I had that with Stuart Bijot. I hope that's how you pronounce it. He never actually said his last name around us. He was just Stuart. But he liked what he tasted out of Arizona wines. and I wish I had been down there in Wilcox at the time, because it would have been nice to meet a fellow wine writer and wine geek, but so he goes. Which makes me wonder if he's ever read my blog and what he thinks. I certainly hope he has, because when I met him, my first impression was, oh my god, this is exactly halfway in between Cody and my best man at my wedding. (laughs) So it was a great time. And if you read his blog about that evening, you will see that he agrees with that assessment. Uh, He's one of the wine bloggers that I followed off and on. I had no idea he was coming to Arizona, unfortunately, or else I would have made a request for him to come north, but he'll be back again if he liked I'm sure he'll be if back. If he liked our stuff, then there's no reason for him not to come back. So next time maybe we'll come north and we'll crack open something. One of the thoughts I have had of late, especially after trying the uh, Rosé Fonse from uh, Sierra Bonita Vineyards, is possibly a Saunier uh, Tanat Rosé blend. And it would be super dark because that Rosé only has 7% Tanat. And it's the darkest Rosé I've ever seen. Hmm. Um, if you want to get your Tanat starker, I imagine that a, a Tanat Ionico rosé would be probably a rosé thick enough and tannic enough for a steak if you wanted to go that far the rosé. Knowing my personal taste in rosés, that sounds like sex in a bottle to me. But. Oh, I don't... Yeah, I'd totally be into that. Um, which is why I'm really interested in what happens... Um, with Rob Hamlin's planting with Sagrantino, if that goes well, and if his wines go well, I'd like to see more of that planted, because that, as you pointed out, would be a really good rosé, right? Um, if things keep up in uh, Chino Valley, we might see some Pinot Noir rosés out there, which would be fun and interesting. Mouvedra, I really prefer its dark reds, rather than its rosé brethren out here, unless it's in the midst of that GSM rosé blend that we do so well. But my general opinion on GSMs in general is that we should see other people for a while. We've done enough of them. They're good. Well, they're okay. They're great. But when you walk into a tasting room, all you can get are variations on the GSM blend on a flight. You get a little burnt out. It might be interesting to see some more rosés from Bordeaux grapes out here, too. Very few people, as far as I'm aware, are doing uh, Merlot Rosé. Alcantara did one a couple years ago. I know they're doing one again this year, so I've heard. I've never seen a Cab Rosé out here. Ever. Have you? Not out here. Um, we drank one. Or Were you there the day that I had the South African Mulderbach Cab Soft Rosé or not? I doubt it. I can't remember. I don't think so. I like South African wines in general. I've had very few, but... From the one place I've had several of... They do things very well. There's a winemaker in South Africa that's looking at coming to make a visit out to Arizona later this year or next year. From he where? grows a lot of Tanat. From where? From South Africa. No, um, what What producer? I don't know offhand. I can't remember. I follow him on Instagram. Mbaioberte is his name. If, uh, if it's the producer is Diemersfontein, call me. 
immediately. I don't care what time of day it is when you find out. They make the best pinotage in the world. I've had a handful of them. I believe in that grape. I believe in its potential, even though most people don't. I was going to say, that's an overly narrow superlative. <laughs> but I have had... I agree. Pinotage in South Africa shows a lot more potential than the few pinotage I've had from other places. I've had a lot of pinotages from Africa that were absolute shit. Actually, all but one pinotage that I've ever had have been complete shit. This one is beautiful. It reeks of coffee and chocolate and dark fruit and it's smooth and rich and it doesn't have any of those nail polish remover flavors and aromas that most pinotage have. These guys really have it dialed in and how they do it. And from talking to the owner several years ago when I met him, um, there are other pinotage in South Africa that are quite lovely, but they don't make it out of the country. So all the things that we get stuck with here are the lame, half-assed, nail polish remover pinotage, with the exception of the Demersfontaine, hmm. which last I heard was only available in California, New York, North Carolina, and Georgia. Hmm. But that was years ago, so things may have changed. It was a lot of fun to be the only person to show up at the tasting of their entire range of wines at the wine store I used to frequent in North Raleigh. Especially when the owner and the distributor were both there. Ooh, fun. And you're on a first-name basis with all of the people behind the counter. Good time was had by all. It'd be interesting to see what Malbec does as a rosé in Arizona when uh, Deep Sky gets really going. I think they're going to be the big, the big producer of Arizona Malbec. I know Passion is getting some of that. Maybe we'll make some into a rosé. I don't know. That's kind of up to Jason, but... I can plant that bug in his ear. I'm pretty good at Inception. Well, what we should totally do is a saunier of all of the reds, like the one-night stand. Yes. So while Sangiovese, while Malbec, we'll have... That is the same blend as the uh, Girasole back at Raffaldini. Take all the reds, saunier them pump them into a tank, treat it like a white. And it makes uh, one of those beautiful rosés that just sells out in two weeks. If you're not there on opening day, you're going to have a hard time getting a bottle. That is, if you live in, live in North Carolina. If you don't, you're probably screwed. I haven't had a bottle of it in three years. So, yeah, I would agree with that sentiment. Did you want more? I think I'll have some more. Did you want some more? I haven't seen the Fifth Omen forever. I knew I recognized that quote. Speaking of fun quotes, I made a handful of our friends watch Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy a few days ago. Oh, fun! Including our co-worker, the counselor, who had read the book, but had been a while and never seen the movie. At the end of the movie, she turns to me and goes, I don't remember it being that weird when I read the book. <laughs> I said, how old were you when you read the book? She goes, late middle school, early high school. I'm like, it's because of your age. Yeah, if you read that after, it's going to be strange. Indeed. That being said, I also haven't read the book 
since I was in college, and I haven't seen the movie also since I was in college, that may need to be rectified at some point. There is a copy of it, not 30 feet from where we were sitting right now. Maybe what we should do is, um, when you crack open the rosé number two, we'll put it on the laptop. Perhaps. Because you know, wearing kilts and standing outside in the shade and drinking rosé, it's actually not too shabby out here. I told my wife earlier today that I think I truly am becoming a desert rat because it was a bit over 100 degrees in the sun outside and I walked out to take the dog out and thought, it feels pretty comfortable out here in the shade. So I grabbed my book and I grabbed a beer and then I came out on the porch and I sat down and read for about three hours. Kind of did that on my porch this morning. I mean, it was full sun, so I wasn't out there as long, but... I grabbed a bottle of water from the freezer and had a glass of what was left of the Chiron Vineyards Merlot that I was drinking alongside the whole Cluster Merlot a couple nights ago. And uh, just kind of enjoyed it. Cause and reading? And reading. I'm reading 2312 by uh, Kim Stanley Robinson. Okay. It's kind of the spiritual successor to the... Red Mars, Blue Mars, Green Mars trilogy that you and, or I guess it's just your wife, are yep. puts them through. I haven't read it yet. I was reading the lesser-known sequel to The Monkey Wrench Gang, Hey Duke Lives, which reads a lot faster than The Monkey Wrench Gang, but it is a lot thinner of a book, so... One of the reasons why I wear a bolo tie is to counteract the stigma imposed by Edward Abbey in The Monkey Wrench Gang. Where he says of one man, he's the sort of man who would wear a bolo tie. One of the reasons I don't wear a bolo tie is because I believe in that stigma attached by Edward Abbey in the Monkey Ranch Gang. That said, I am one of the three people in the Verde Valley who knows how to tie a bow tie. This is true. One could argue, I suppose, that southwestern hipsters would go for bolo ties more than bow ties, but that would make me the only Verde Valley hipster, so which I do not consider myself hipster at all. And I don't think you do, really, per se. But that's neither here nor there. Although I did hear that shaved heads are in this year. So I can say I've been doing that since before it was cool. (laughs) Well, what do you think? Do we want to move on to rosé number two? Or do we want to do the uh, vernacchia? Either way, I think we kill the podcast right here before we start the next bottle. Oh, yeah. Well, we still got a little bit in our glasses, but... Until we meet again, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Wine Monk and the Beer Captain, signing off.